Hey, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for checking out our sermons online. I want to let you know whether this is your first time watching one of our sermons or you're just reviewing a sermon that you've heard here on the campus. I will welcome you, but I do want to let you know we have a core value at Coastal Community Church, and that core value is that you find a local church to be a part of. And so uh, if this, hopefully this sermon series or this sermon is supplementing your spiritual growth, but I want to encourage you to find a, a local church. If you live in the Yorktown, Virginia area, we would love for you to visit us. We have three services, uh, 8 o'clock, 9, 30, and 11, and we meet at 101 Village Avenue. Thank you so much for checking out this sermon online. I hope it encourages your walk and your journey with Jesus Christ. Good morning, Coastal Church. It's great to see you. I'm excited about this message this morning. I really hope that the... Um... So... Um... Um, I'm really excited about this passage of scripture this morning. It's, uh, it's way heavy on my heart. I'm eager for you guys to learn from it. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. If you don't have a Bible, we really need to open your Bible. In fact, um, James, do I have, are the verses on the screen? I can't remember. They All of them? All of my verses? Okay. Uh, I, I knew we had to make changes to the slide, the format this morning, so... Um, but get your Bible out. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 15 to 17 this morning. And, uh, man, I hope that when you leave here this morning that um, your focus is entirely on Christ. Christ alone as your Savior, your Redeemer, your Creator. Uh, my son and I like to watch a show that... Uh, is about a pawn shop where people bring their goods in, and uh, oftentimes they they um, have a. And I'm not going to tell you the name of the show because I'm uncomfortable with the title. Okay, so, uh, so some of you know what it is. And so these people bring in their their thing, their wares that they want to pawn, and it's a great show because most times people bring in something from antiquity, something that's old that they anticipate to be uh, of high value. So the owner of the pawn shop, he, he's, he's got all these connections in the community with people that know the true value of the wares that they're trying to pawn. And so usually the person will come in and they'll be like, oh, I, you know, I, want, I think I can get about $5,000 for this. And, and the owner will be like, well, I really don't know much about it. I've got this expert, which, you know, I always wonder if they're set up. But anyway, you know, so these experts come in and they're like, no, it's worth about 100 bucks, right? And, you know, it's, it's just it's not what you thought. It's a, it's a fake. Um, it, it, it doesn't have the value that you thought it did. At the end of the day, that's what idolatry is, right? The world tells us, man, go after this. This is valuable. And, and then what we find out later is that we, we've exchanged something precious for a fake. This morning, I want to encourage you, don't exchange what God has called precious for a fake. I want to encourage you to cling to something that's valuable. And the something that is valuable is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's the value this morning. Don't exchange for something lesser. And Paul here is in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter, still in last summer, we're in 1 Corinthians, all right, then we're in this summer. Colossians chapter 1, he's writing to a church that is dealing with the temptation of exchanging Jesus as big G God for little G God. You going to get me straight now? Awesome. 
talk about it. Yeah. Well, now it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There. Exchange for a good microphone. All right. Here we go. Thank you, Mr. Joey. Dr. Tomlinson. Woo! All right. This church is dealing with the temptation of exchanging Jesus. So in ancient Near Eastern culture, it was, it was common and it was actually okay to have a plurality of gods. Just as long as you didn't elevate your god among the other gods, right? As long as all the gods had a small g, it was okay. And what Paul is saying is that is not the case, that Jesus is God and he is exalted above everything else. It is Christ above all. And by the way, don't think because this, this book is old that it doesn't apply to us today. We live in a very similar situation. It's okay to believe in a Jesus, small g God. Just don't elevate him to the God or you're going to run into problems in this culture, right? Because if that's the case, then we've got to do what he says. Right? And so we, we don't want to do that. We want to pick and choose the God of our liking. And, and when we do that, when we pick and choose the God of our liking, we exchange the God for a false God, and we're exchanging something that's valuable for something that has no value. You know, even Christians, we, like, we, 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 we can run into this problem in our church where we, where we focus more on the, what the church should be doing as opposed to what the church should be worshiping. And we live in this current culture where the focus of, you know, for pastors is leadership. There's leadership. So you have to be a great leader, you know, in order to lead a church. And there's all these leadership problems. All of a sudden, leadership becomes the focus. And probably 15 or 20 years ago, the focus was church growth. Like, you had to go to all these church growth conferences. Or maybe you think the church should be outreaching. Or maybe you're in a church where you grew up in a church where the highlight was the specific spiritual gifts. And I, I think I see this mostly in the charismatic circles. Maybe you're serious and you're like, man, I want to see the stuff, like the miracles, like the cool stuff. And the list goes on and on of things that we can exchange that are far lesser than Christ himself. The focus of the church is on Christ. He's the object of our worship. And Paul here is building the case that this church is being tempted to exchange Jesus or make just one of many gods. He's saying, no, he's exalted. He is the creator God. And so Colossians 1 verse 15, Paul says, he, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. I think I left the word God off your book, off your hand out. All right, so write that in. He's the image of the invisible God. Now, here's what we know about God, right? We know that God cannot be seen. We learned that in Exodus, where Moses wants to see God's face. And God says to him in Exodus 33, verse 20, he says, but he said, you can't see my face, sir. No man can see my face and live. We also know that God is spirit. We learned this in John chapter 4, where Jesus is teaching the woman at the well. He says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so this is where we get into the doctrine of the Trinity, and I'm not going to unpack that this morning. Okay, understand that the Bible teaches that our God is three in one. And by the way, I hope you know this, that it, 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 what, what it was that caused the Jews to crucify Christ was that he was claiming to be God. I mean, think about this. Like, Jesus is taking a couple loaves of bread and a couple fish, he's feeding thousands. Like, if you've got a guy that can reproduce, fit, uh, reproduce food in a moment, make sure you're always well-fed, that's not a guy you want to get rid of. That's the kind of guy you want to keep around, right? I mean, I would love to be able to buy one box of cereal and feed my kids for the week, okay? The amount of savings, I would speed my way 
eating or as a way to reproduce the food, right? I mean, if you got a guy that can raise the dead, that's the kind of guy you want to keep around. So why in the world were the Jews so hostile towards Jesus? It's the doctrine of the Trinity. Hey, wait a minute, God is Yet, Jesus, John chapter 8, claims the I am passage from the Old Testament. Jesus says, I am. Jesus is God. He doesn't ever shy away from that in his teaching. And the Jews got it. Remember John chapter 10? John chapter 10, verse 30, where Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up stones to kill him. Why would they do that? Why would they want to stone him? They picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered, he says, and I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? In other words, he said, look, you've seen the miracles. Why are you going to put me to death? And the Jews answered, it's not for the good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. You, because you being a man, make yourself to be what, church? God, right? We can't dumb down Jesus in our culture. Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be the only way to the Father. There's plenty of other stories, right? Mark chapter 2, you probably know the story, right? Where Jesus is teaching in a house, the house is packed. And these guys have a friend who's paralyzed, and so they, they can't get into the house. They rip the roof off the house. They lower him down through the roof of the house, right? And so this, this paralyzed man, he's lowered in front of Jesus, and, and Jesus, what's the first thing he says to the man? Anybody know? Your sins are forgiven. Now, if I spent my life paralyzed, and, and, and my friend says, listen, this guy can have you walk again, and he lowers me in front of him, and the first words he says, my sins are forgiven, I might be disappointed. Right? I thought I was going to walk again. Mark chapter 2, everyone's like, wait a minute, only God can forgive sins. So Jesus says, what's the easier thing to say? Your sins are forgiven? Rise up and take up your mat and walk. Which is easier to say? Which is easier to say? Sins are forgiven. That's easier to say. Who can prove that? The harder thing to say is take up your mat and walk. Which, if you're God, healing the body is what? It's easier than forgiving sins. And so Jesus says, to prove that I am God, take up your mat and walk. Jesus is the perfect image of God, Paul says. He says in here in Colossians 1, the author of Hebrews one tells us that Jesus is the perfect image of God. If you're here this morning and you've ever wondered, man, what would it look like if God were one of us? Well, I've got great news for you this morning. We know. Read your Gospels. Jesus was the perfect image of God. Jesus perfectly expresses the character and the nature of God. God's image Hebrews 1 says, is perfectly stamped in Jesus. Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the object of our worship. Did you know that our worship is to be focused on Christ? The Holy Spirit is a signpost that points us to be worshipers of Jesus Christ. Paul says he's the firstborn. There's a lot of confusion around this phrase. Right? He's the firstborn. This means... First in rank or priority. This does not mean chronological. A lot, of, a lot of people get this wrong, and all you have to do is take this verse in context to understand that it's sandwiched between Jesus being deity and Jesus being creator, which 
God would do as creator. And so firstborn is sandwiched between those two truths, which lets us know this is a common use of language, which has the idea of rank or priority. In Exodus chapter 4, Jesus used this term to describe Israel. He said, you're the firstborn nation. That doesn't mean they were the only nation on planet Earth. It doesn't mean it was Israel's beginning point. He was telling Israel, you're the priority and rank through which the Messiah is going to come. The idea of firstborn is the idea of rank, priority, inheritance, and authority. The rest of this passage makes it clear that Jesus has no beginning point. He is God. And so Paul is establishing the preeminence of Jesus. The second thing I want you to see here this morning is that Paul is making the case that Jesus was an active agent as the creator of all. Again, to be creator is to have the attributes of deity. Colossians 1.16. Paul says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus Christ is our creator. He created all things. That means physical creation. It means the universe in which we live. Romans 1, which we're going to look at in just a moment, makes it clear that, that we're to look at creation and know that there's a God. To look at, and, at creation and, and not be, be wowed, not contemplate that there's a creator, is arrogant at best. By the way, science and, and the Bible are not in conflict. Science is supposed to be seeking the truth. And the truth should further reveal to us that there's a creator. Science, done well and done rightly, should be pushing us further towards worship of the creator. In fact, if you, I'm going to read a couple things this morning about creation. If you, if you do any study of creation at all, one, one glimpse, it just size of the universe should at least leave us with, man, our God is powerful and wise. <coughs> Did you know that our sun, our star in which we, we get our light and our life has a di diameter of 864,000 miles. That's how big the sun is. It's 100 times the size of Earth. If you took Earth and you put it inside of the sun, you, our, the sun could hold 1.3 million planets the size of Earth. just want you to get your head around that a little bit. The star Betelgeuse has a diameter of 100 million miles. So our sun has 864,000. The star Betelgeuse has 100 million miles in diameter. The star, the sun Betelgeuse, the star Betelgeuse is larger than the Earth's entire orbit around the sun. Did you know that it takes sunlight traveling at the speed of 186,000 miles per second? Some I mean, of you drove here that fast this morning. Okay, I'm sorry. Race around you to get here. 
The sun, traveling at 186,000 miles per second, takes 8.5 minutes to reach Earth. That same ray of light would take, at that speed, traveling, it would take more than four years for that ray of light to reach our nearest star, which is some 24 trillion miles away, and that's inside of our own galaxy. Our own galaxy, to which our sun belongs, is called the Milky Way, and it contains hundreds of billions of stars, and astronomers now estimate, they used to think it was in the millions, they now think it's in the billions, that there are billions of galaxies in the universe, which leads them to estimate that the number of stars in the universe are 10 to the 25th power. They suspect that there's a, about the same number of stars in the universe as there is grains on the sands of the seashore of all the world's beaches. Can you imagine that? Next time you're from Virginia Beach, I want you to consider that's one beach with all the sand, and that's just the tip of the iceberg of how many stars are in heaven. And by the way, what promise did God make to Abraham? You'll have as many children as what? Stars of heaven and isn't it fascinating? They're both about the same. Best our scientists can tell. See, God doesn't make any mistakes. And we're supposed to look at creation every day and be reminded that there's a creator. Now, I will let you know that the Bible, there's, the, there's not enough truth in creation for us to be saved. We need um, special revelation for that, which is why God sent his son Emmanuel, so that we would have special revelation. But listen, we are to look at creation and know that there's a God. And if we choose not to do that, it's ignorant at best and probably more likely it's prideful. Psalm chapter 8 verse 3 says, when I look at your heavens and the work of your fingertips, when I look at the moons and the stars which you have set into place, what is man that you would be mindful of him and the son of man that you for him. Listen, we're to look at creation and go, man, it's awesome, but the God of the universe still cares for me. Isn't that amazing? Peter writes, man, you can cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. We're to look at this vast galaxy and, and guess we could be overwhelmed by it, but more than that, we're supposed to say, man, God still cares for me. I can, and most of the time when I pray, I usually start with he speaks and billions of galaxies come into existence, yet he is mindful of Sean Brown. And he cares. I can talk about in Christ, I can talk about it. Romans 1 says this about creation. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men by their unrighteousness. What do they do? They suppress the truth. Why do they do that? For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. What can we see from creation? We can see his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since creation of the world and the things that have been made. So all men are without excuse. Don't think that one day you're going to sit, stand before the creator God of the universe and have an excuse. Well, I just didn't know because you didn't consider creation. 
fact, the next two verses, which I wish I had on here, Romans 1 talks about how mankind then begins to darken their minds. They, they, uh, uh, they exchange the truth for a lie, and thinking that they're wise, they become fools. Did you know that most of the leading scientists in America now are unable to tell the difference between the genders? Why is that? Because we've exchanged the wisdom of God for foolishness. Some of y'all are squirming right now, getting really uncomfortable. Like, are you about to say, Pastor, there's differences between men and women? Yes. And you don't have to be confused about your gender because Jesus was intimately involved in your creation. He created And he didn't make any mistake. We don't have power this morning because that's the way Jesus wanted it. Did you think about that? No mistakes. He created all spiritual beings, Colossians 1 says. He created the angels, the authorities, the minions, and rulers. Well, the Apostle Paul uses similar language in, in Ephesians 6, which we looked at in our last series. And Pastor Joey did an excellent job of covering that section during the armor of God, so I'm not going to spend time on that. But here's the point I want to make. As Christians, man, we don't have we don't go, need to go, go to either spiritual extreme. We don't need to go to the extreme of like, and there's angels that are really cool. Let's spend a lot of time talking about angels. And we don't have to go to the other extreme, like there's demons, authorities. We need to be really fearful. We don't need to be in either extreme because we get to know and we get to worship the creator of them both. Amen? You guys awake? I can yell out. Okay, I can turn this off. And I can... All right, here we go. Listen, what... Jesus has full authority, and as Christians, we don't have to get caught up in worshiping and worrying and, and, and studying other things. We can contemplate and worship and study the Creator in Jesus Christ. Our time is much better spent getting to know Jesus. He's the Creator. He's created it all. Since Paul says he's created it all, the next logical conclusion, if we're using logic and intelligence and reason which God has given to us as a gift, the next logical conclusion is he's sovereign over it all. See, the reason mankind wants to darken the mind and not look at creation and not consider the, that there's a creator is because we don't want God to be the boss of us. Yes? Left to our natural self, that's, that, apart from the regeneration of the word of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our minds, man, we, we want to be the boss of me. I want to be the boss of me. But if Jesus is creator, and if Jesus is God and Jesus is creator, then Jesus is sovereign. He has a right to rule. Colossians 1.17. Paul writes, because before all things, and in him, all things hold together. I want, you to, I want you to meditate on that for a little bit this morning. I mean, think about it. All right, let's think about that. Jesus holds all of creation together. Jesus holds all of creation together. Did you know that to this point in scientific discovery, when we look inside of an atom and we look at the nucleus, scientists are still not completely sure what holds a nucleus together? There's something mysterious going on. Now I propose that it's Jesus holding it together. 
But my suspicion is if we discover a little bit more information, it will still lead us to a greater mystery of wonder and awe. Because without Jesus, electrons would not continue to cir circle the nuclei, and gravity would cease to work, and the planets would not stay in their course in their orbits, and everything about your ability to have life right now would be gone unless Jesus holds it together. Did you know, just to talk about both the fragility of the earth that you live on and the precision on which the earth you live on. Did you know that the sun has a surface temperature of 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit? If we were just a half a degree closer, we would burn up. And if we were half a degree away from the sun, we would freeze. Did you know that our globe is tilted at an exact angle of 23 degrees, providing us with four seasons? If that were not so, if it was tilted one way or another by just a half a degree, the oceans would either freeze or vaporize. Did you know that if the moon did not, did not retain its exact distance from the earth, the ocean's tides would inundate the land completely twice a day? Did you know that if the ocean's floors were merely a few feet deeper than they are, the carbon dioxide and oxygen balance of the earth's atmosphere would be completely upset to the point that there would be no life on planet earth? If the atmosphere did not re uh, remain at its present density of, uh, and it thinned out just Little bit, many of the meteors which hit the Earth's atmosphere and burn up harmlessly would bombard the Earth. Listen, Jesus is intimately involved with your creation. That's what Paul says. Now, many of our founding fathers, I hear this a lot, our founding fathers of this, earth, of this country were, were Christians. There's some were, to be sure, but most were deists. Most were deists. They, they concluded that there's a God, but he did not intimately rule his creation. He kind of set the creation to go, and they kind of left it. And I just want you to know, it's not the God of the Bible. It's not, it's not the picture painted here in Colossians 1. The picture painted here in Colossians 1 is that Jesus is involved, and Jesus is loving, and Jesus is caring, and Jesus is sustaining. He's not a disinterested, distant God. Our Jesus is sovereignly involved in your everyday life, holding it together so that you can have life. Jesus protects his people because he's involved in the universe. And so because of that, I want you to think about this for a minute, okay? Because of that, in Christ, the universe has no ultimate terrors apart from the day that Jesus returns. So I'm, I'm going to confess my sin right now in front of the church, all right? I'm a sucker for a good apocalyptic movie. Sucker for them. Love them, all right? Day after tomorrow, love it. World War Z, love it, all right? Love love apocalyptic movies. But the reason I love them is because I know they're not true. And I can live, and I can laugh, and I can be nervous, but, but at the end of the day, they're not true. Because nothing is going to happen to this planet until Jesus, the sovereign king of all, says it's going to happen. And he's already told us nothing's going to happen until he returns. Listen, I want you to think what you're amening, okay? Because we live in a culture that's making policies around things otherwise. You're getting charged tax dollars to make sure that the globe doesn't burn up from global warming. That's still a theory. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be stewards of the earth. Absolutely, we should. I'm not saying we shouldn't long for alternative energies. 
Absolutely we should. But there's a lot of things happening based on the idea. So as a Christian, you don't have to feel aliens, asteroids, zombies, global warming, global catastrophes that the planet will somehow be wiped out. They make great movies, but it's not going to happen because Jesus is intimately involved in his creation. Four people agree with me. All right. I'm going to give you possible reasons. We don't have to fear. And I feel like we live in this culture just so fearful. Man, the whole world's coming unglued at the scenes. No, it's not. Jesus is intimately involved that when it comes unglued at the scenes, he'll be at his return. Good? I don't know what you guys have got. Here we go. This leaves me with one final point this morning. I want to drill down for a moment. I want to apply this. To think any less of Jesus Christ as God is blasphemous. To think of Jesus Christ as anything less than God is blasphemous. Walk out of here today and understand the scriptures, to look at creation, know that God's involved, Jesus is our God, He's our creator. And to walk out and just call him a good teacher, a good prophet, or a moral leader, it is to come, come way short of what Paul is teaching the church of Colossae. Jesus is God. He is creator. He is sovereign over all. He is holding your world and my world together. If Jesus has a beginning, if, if, if you believe, or another religion believes, that Jesus is a created being, I want you to hear me on this, then he and if he ceases to be God, then guess what? He made false claims about himself when he claimed to be God. And if he made false claims about himself, that makes Jesus what? A liar. And if he's a liar, that makes Jesus a sinner. And if Jesus is a sinner, then he's not an acceptable sacrifice to pay for our sin. Everybody with me on that? So if we're going to have redemption with God and forgiveness of sin, it requires the perfect sacrifice, the one that ruled the perfect life that we could never live, to die a substitutionary death on the cross where every single one of our sins are covered by the blood of Christ, and he rose again, authenticating his claims as being God. So I'm going to make a list. You ready? This list are religions do not consider Jesus to be God. You ready? Mormons. Jehovah's Witness. Christian Science. Scientology. Muslims. And dare I say, Judaism. Do not consider Jesus Christ to be God. They consider him to be a prophet. They consider him to be a starting point. And therefore, according to the scriptures, he would, if that was true, he would be an insufficient payment for sin. Think of Jesus as anything less than God would be blasphemous. Now let me make it personal. Ready? Let's make it personal. Let's go down even more. Since Jesus is God, a practical application for us is that as believers, we should be fearful of taking the Lord's name in vain. Right? And it, it bothers me. Hear someone yell out as an expletive, Jesus Christ. 
listen, I'm, I'm not talking to those who maybe you're here this morning, you're not yet Christian. You're like, man, I don't know if I'm buying into this. I get that. We're praying. And I really, I've prayed for you some of this message. But not. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, man, I'm unbelievers act like unbelievers. I'm talking to Christians. Like, if that's in your language, and you say, I'm a Christian, then you're saying, I understand that Jesus is the creator, Jesus is God, Jesus is my savior, Jesus is actively holding my world together and in a moment of frustration and a moment of irritation, I'm going to dumb down his glorious name to an expletive. Change your language, Christian. If you say Jesus Christ, it's going to be tail end with is Lord. He's Lord. Holds the university. Number two. Practical application. Jesus is God. He's holding it all together. He's he is creator. He is intimately involved. And how dare us come to corporate worship distracted and bored? And I want to encourage you, man. We we gather together corporately. By the way, some of the, and I know when I preach, man, I I like to and I do it intentionally because I want us to be believers thinking about the practical applications of the gospel. I know I push the cultural boundaries, and we need to start pushing the cultural boundaries. So we as Christians are saying, how does the truth of the gospel touch every part of our lives? And so I know at times I'll probably make some of you uncomfortable, and I want to shake your world a little bit, okay? But when we gather corporately for worship, okay, we get to gather with brothers and sisters. Listen, out there in the world... If I, if I said some of the things I said this morning out there in the world, I know this is probably a pretty safe place. If I went on the CNU University and said some of the things I said, I would be laughed off the stage. Yes? Be called a fool and an idiot. And I know that's the world that you guys run in. And I, and I'm, I know I'm encouraging you to take a stand. But we gather here, you're gathered with like-minded believers that love the Lord and understand the truth of the word. Man, what a privilege that is. When we gather for worship, man, we get, we get to gather together and we get to learn and be molded more into the image of and we get to sing praise to we get to hear from the creator of the universe. And so often we come in here and we're casual and we're distracted and worse yet, we're bored. Listen, Jesus Christ held your week together. If you made safe passage through another week, which includes the nucleus of the oxygen that you breathe was held together, it is Jesus Christ was actively involved. If you had food on your plate, if you had a job, if God got you through another week healthy, or even if you're not healthy, but he, you endured another week, it is because Jesus Christ was actively involved in your week. You're sitting here this morning because Jesus Christ got you here, and he wanted you to hear this message. It's no mistake that you're here this morning. Jesus Christ does not intend for us to gather in corporate worship and be casual and bored. He's creator. He's intimately involved. And he is sovereign and we get to worship him. Isn't that great news? Finally is this. There's two ways to receive the name of Jesus here on earth. Or there's two responses to the name of Jesus here on earth. You can receive him with humility. You can reject him in pride. You can receive him with humility or you can reject him in pride. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul uh, writes 
great understanding about how Jesus, our creator, the one who's intimately involved in creation, the one who holds our feet together, humbled himself. He took on flesh. By the way, we went through this week and getting older like me, right? The body's breaking down. You have aches and pains throughout the week. You're wondering how much more you can endure. Like, Man, it's God done with my body. Or something. Like, what are you talking about? You'll get there, okay? So it's a lot of fun getting older. And so, um, so, um, yeah, so you get to look forward to it. And you want to be happy to endure one more week. And, and please know your God knows because he took on flesh, Philippians 2. And they humbled, humbled himself. And he came to his creation. You know what the creation did to him? Rejected him. Spit on him. Beat him. Crucified him. One of the most horrible ways of death that man has ever known. And, and and it's more than that. Don't just look at the crucifixion and go, man, how horrible that is. It was horrible. But while that was happening, God the Father actively poured out his wrath and his hatred on sin, on his one and only son, so that he had to go, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? While he took all the punishment of your sin on your behalf, right? And then they laid him in a grave, and three days later, a grave couldn't hold him, and he rose again to eternal life, authenticating his claims as being God. Stepping out of the grave, authenticated his message. He trampled over death by death. And he rose again. And in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, you have one of two responses to Jesus. You can respond here on earth. So that the name of Jesus, he said, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus is the creator. He clothed himself in flesh. He died in our sins. He rose again, authenticating his claims to be God. And the scripture is clear. You will bow a knee. You will either bow a knee in this life in humble adoration, acceptance into this, accepting him into your life and into your heart, leading to eternal life and undeserved gift of free salvation. Or you will bow a knee in the next life when you see him face to face in continued pride and defiance, having rejected offer of eternal life and being bitter and angry and arrogant for the rest of your eternity. So what is keeping you this morning from receiving the good news of the salvation of our God being on our behalf? What is keeping you this morning? This morning, you're not yet a believer. The creator of the universe cared enough for you to die in your place. Bear the wrath of God's sin on your behalf. And rose again so that you would have the hope that the grave wouldn't have final say over you and the gift of eternal life is sure because is true to his promises. You can humble yourself and say, you know what, I'm broken and I'm, I'm human and I'm needy and I need a savior. You can continue arrogant and prideful rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, I've been there. I've been there. I'm not preaching to anybody but myself. I remember at one point in my life I prayed to God, God, leave me alone, and I thank God He did. He kept chasing me down by spirit and by others and by his word. He 
saved my soul. If you're here today and you're not a believer, you are not here by accident this morning. You are here because Jesus Christ is the seeker of our souls. He's so intimately involved that he wants you to have eternal life today. Do. Let's pray. If you're here this morning, you're tired of living life in your own way, you've exchanged the truth of God for lesser things, and it's beaten you up, and it's left you wanting. This morning, the power of the preached word, the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, the eyes of your heart are being awakened to spiritual truth the work of God. Where God is intimately involved with you. If that's you this morning, you want to start this relationship with God, maybe it's a, it's a, it's a commitment of your heart and life. But he's the God who hears. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, man. It's not the magical but the prayer, but it's an opportunity to do business with our God. Pray in your heart, pray in your mind with me. Heavenly Father, it's become clear to me this morning that uh, I've been doing things my own way. Pastor Sean nailed it. It's, it's pride. I've been wanting to be the boss of me. And to be honest, God has left me with a mess. I realized this morning you, you love me, you created me, you're intimately involved with me. I'm, I'm sitting here this morning because you drew me here. It's not an accident that I'm sitting here hearing this message about Christ this morning. So as best I understand it, I ask you to forgive my sin. I thank you for paying for my sin and I trust that Jesus, Son of God, wrapped himself in flesh and died for me and rose again of eternal life. So as best I understand it, I'm a follower of Christ today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. I'll tell you what, if you did visit with God like that this morning, welcome to the family of God.